You're listening to a parish podcast, a reimagined faith community. I woke up one morning and I couldn't open my eyes. When I did, I realized it was 4.30 a.m., but my eyes were still swollen. They were itchy. They were sore. I was lying in bed thinking about what my options would be because I was supposed to preach at the parish in just six hours. Doing nothing wasn't on the table. I could have went to emerge, but that'd be a five, six-hour wait because it wasn't life-threatening. Now, I, I could wait till 8 a.m. and I could go to the green zone, but you know I'd still be waiting at least an hour, possibly two. I was supposed to be at the parish at 8.30. I decided to go to Shoppers Drug Mart because it was open all night and let the pharmacy advise me with something over the counter. He sold me a $30 bottle of holy water and I'm sitting in the parking lot. My watch said 5.40 a.m. The sun wasn't up yet. It was minus 22 degrees. The thought crossed my mind. I didn't need this today. As I was delicately scratching my eyelid in the rearview mirror with a rogue chopstick that I found on the floor, this thought came to me. Or do I need this? Why is it that we often only appreciate things when we risk losing them? Like when we maybe could lose our freedom or our health or our happiness. We take these for granted until we have a setback, a disruption. And now we can just either wait it out, hoping that it will pass, and sometimes it does, maybe many times it does, or we could notice them, become aware of them, of what's happening. And instead of just getting over it quickly and trying to forget it, allowing it to become something. You know, we talk a lot about being present in the joyful, meaningful moments of our lives, but there's something to be said for being present in the painful, disruptive moments too. Not just wishing it was gone, but noticing it and choosing to let it become something bigger. Eckhart Tolle writes that most people treat the present moment as if it were an obstacle that they need to overcome. And since the present moment is life itself, he says this is an insane way to live. You know, he's on to something. I really do think that this is what Jesus means when he says, don't judge. He says it often. I think he means don't put things in piles labeled good or bad. Just trust God in all things. You don't know enough. By 5.45 a.m. that fateful morning I was driving home and I had this thought, this is the least of my worries. When my eye gets better, I will be a little more thankful, maybe, appreciative even. And a smile crossed my face and I thought, this can actually wake me up to gratitude It doesn't have to make me angry or upset or frustrated. And maybe I'm not behind because of this disruption. But in all the ways that matter, maybe I'm farther ahead. What if we could think about it, all of our setbacks, our disruptions in a different light, and make a choice to kind of consider them differently? I know this is an alternative way of experiencing life and maybe might be difficult, but I really do think this is how the early followers of Jesus were encouraged to live every day. Let me read to you a scripture that is quite popular and quite unpopular for the very same reason. This is written by um, James, um, and this is a letter he writes to encourage early Christians. This is from chapter one. I'm going to read it out of the NIV Bible. 
This is what he writes. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking in anything. Huh. Maybe, maybe we'll read that out of a different translation. We'll see if it's any easier to swallow. This is from the message version. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come to you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so that you become mature, well-developed, and not deficient in any way. Um, yeah, I didn't like that one. That wasn't any easier to swallow. Let's, let's try another one. This is J.B. Phillips. This is how he paraphrases the same verse. He writes, When all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into your lives, don't resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. Realize that they come to test your faith and to produce in you the quality of endurance. But let that process go on until that endurance is fully developed and you will find that you've become a person of mature character with the right sort of independence. Man, I don't think it matters how we translate that verse. I think what James is saying is counterintuitive. I think it's, we could just rack it up as challenging. Like I said, James is an early follower of Jesus, considered by some to be his brother. And he's writing here that our faith in God needs to affect the way we experience disruption, the negative things in life, discomfort, disturbance. And you know what? I think he may be onto something. If we could only get past how ridiculous it sounds, consider it pure joy when I experience difficulty? James, are you nuts? I think the key to understanding what he's saying is that first word, consider. What James is saying here is just consider something. Consider thinking alternatively about what you're experiencing. If you can't change the circumstances, what if you could change how you're perceiving them? When you feel you have no control over your situation, you still have control over how you think about it. You always have that choice. And making decisions is better when you are responding and not just merely reacting to things. James begins by suggesting that we just consider that you try thinking differently about something. Now, I love that word consider because it requires from me a curiosity that maybe I don't know everything, and therefore, maybe anything is still possible. Consider that our initial reaction might not actually be the most appropriate one. Considering difficult times pure joy, that's alternative for sure. He isn't suggesting that we just be happy, because happiness is based largely on circumstances, and so that's not going to happen. He's saying, instead, consider undiluted joy. Now, joy is different than happiness because joy doesn't require circumstances to exist. Joy requires meaning. In other words, James is suggesting that this difficult situation, whatever it is you're experiencing, actually maybe has the potential to be deeply meaningful. At least consider that it does. 
in whatever circumstances you're facing, how can it matter? I was sitting across from a man who had some serious mobility issues because of a car accident that he caused over a decade ago. He'd thrown his single crutch against the wall when he arrived for our meeting, and he was frustrated because he was already late. I was only there for 45 minutes, and there was only 30 minutes left, and he felt like he had me waiting and that I was angry. I I wasn't. But I could imagine his constant frustration, as people would assume that his injury was only temporary because of his crutch. I'm sure that he would have to be constantly asked, what is that all about? And he would constantly have to remind himself that this injury isn't temporary but permanent, and it would bring back the stinging reminder of a terrible night behind the wheel. His poor judgment that changed everything, and not just for him. Our meeting was on the second floor. He was late only because it took him so long to climb the two flights of stairs. His anger and disappointment with life seemed so fresh that you'd assume the accident had only happened six months ago. But it was literally 11 years, and he was just stuck in a moment. And every day he would climb those two flights of stairs to get to group therapy sessions, and it would, you know, it was supposed to help him come to grips with his addiction to pain meds, but when the session was over, he would then descend those same two flights of stairs to the common area for meals and recreation, and he just felt behind. On this day, he was angry. Those steps robbed me, he said. After each session, I struggle down those stairs, and I'm so defeated by the time I reach the bottom, it makes me wonder if it will be worth it to even bother climbing them again after lunch. I felt his pain. He's surrounded by able-bodied individuals, many taking their freedom and their health for granted. So I looked at him, and I said, how many are there? I asked this out of the blue to kind of interrupt his rant, and I could tell by his expression that he didn't have a clue what I was speaking about. How many what, he asked. I said, how many steps are there? I repeated. I have no idea. (laughs) I've never counted. The irritation just wasn't in his voice. It was also on his face. I looked at him and I said, there's 19. Why would you know this, he asked. I know this because I use the same 19 steps today for our meeting. But we, we don't just have to use steps to get from the first to the second floor. I said, you know, once you count the steps, you're able to make them count. There's always something between where we are and where we need to be, where we want to be. And we often perceive the menial tasks or nuisances as merely obstacles hindering us from getting more done in our busy lives or becoming what it is we want to be. But what if they're trying to get our attention? What if those menial little disruptions are trying to wake us up? I asked him to consider how those 19 steps could actually be to his advantage. Is it possible that they could be meaningful instead of discouraging? That doesn't require happiness, but will result in joy, because there is meaning. He could decide to practice gratitude every time he ascended, and on his descending, he could consider 19 affirmations about what he'd learned. They were the same steps, but now they meant something. Now they gave him an advantage over the able-bodied individuals that climbed them each day without notice. James goes on to say in that verse that because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let it finish what it's up to. 
Now, let's replace that word faith in that verse with the word trust. They both come from the same Greek word, and I think it just helps us better consider what he's really saying. Because you know, James says, that the testing of your trust produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. You see, I like that word trust as a translation in that sentence because it, it requires faith to do. I think we've mixed up the idea of faith in our culture. It's become just a strong belief in certain information or in a certain desired outcome. But that isn't faith at all. Faith is about trusting that you don't know what's going on, but you trust that God is bigger than your circumstances and that despite your best efforts to be somewhere else, here you remain. Therefore, consider that perhaps this is where you need to be right now. You can trust God that the piles you've made labeled good and bad aren't recognized by the one who lives in pure potential. That's why Jesus says, don't judge. We don't know enough to judge. James is suggesting these could be opportunities to develop perseverance and mature or grow us into something wonderfully unexpected. Perseverance is, by its nature, a faithfulness towards something. And you persevere because you trust. All we need to do is consider that some kind of joy can be experienced through this. It is a step of faith to consider what cannot be proven. Now, I don't believe that difficult things happen to teach us lessons. But that doesn't mean there isn't something that we can become aware of. Something that can grow us. What if these interruptions could actually be a gift, altering our course or at least disrupting it? Because for whatever reason, maybe we need to be awake right now. The truth is that many of these types of obstacles are unavoidable. So change your perception of them. Instead of having everything in life seemingly work against you, consider that this is your life's work. Being fully aware that the testing of your faith of our trust in God's goodness, of God's ultimate love towards us, can accomplish something in us like perseverance. Being fully aware whenever you're experiencing something that pushes or disrupts you, blows off the cobwebs of your trust in the divine. And just when you thought you had it all figured out, well, there's the problem. We're not here to figure it all out. We're here to grow. We're here to become. But how can I guarantee that my tedious disruptions are working for my benefit? Well, consider it, James says. Think differently about them. Everything isn't an obstacle. Some steps do more than just take you to the second floor. Some can actually set you free. And is it possible that there is another way of seeing these things in our lives, these annoying little disruptions? Yes, they're not going away. So let's hold them differently and be better for it. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking anything. Let perseverance finish its work. It's all up to us. It's all our choices to let this discomfort, this annoyance mean something, to let it take us somewhere positive. So many abandon trust in God when they should be leaning into it. It's called faith because it requires that kind of trust. So let it finish its work in you. Let it do what it wants to do so that nothing happens in vain. Nothing. Not pink eye. 
not COVID, not the sciatica, not the cancer, the breakup, the layoff, the depression, the uncertainty, the failures, the flops, the embarrassments. No. Choose instead to consider, to think differently about all of them, about yourself. And you don't have to do it alone. We are a community so that we can do this together. So let's be the people who count the stairs so we can be the people who make them count. <laughs>